if Utah is Charlotte and Miami is Samantha, but then Miranda's Brooklyn and Carrie is just whoever is secretly awful and it's all about them, but she's everywhere. So it doesn't matter that she's completely devoid of personality. Boston. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where everyone is welcome. No skills required, even if you're the host. <laughs> I'm Haley O'Shaughnessy. And I'm Jordan Liggins. Haley, you were just in New York, right? There's some incredible stories there that we'll save for another time. <laughs> but I know you saw the billions of basketball courts that are all throughout the city. Yes, I did. It was almost like the through line between every neighborhood. I remember when I went with my brother and my sister, we had a little siblings trip to the city a couple years back. And we just were walking and we walked up to this, what we thought was a normal court, but it was a full AAU youth tournament with the crowd and scoreboard. And it was legit. And I couldn't help but wonder... Which one of these kids is going to be the next New York City streetball legend? Okay, first of all, Carrie. <laughs> I just really want her paycheck of what she was making for that one column to live in that amazing New York City apartment. But anyway, what do you know about New York City streetball culture? I know what I know from legend, which feels appropriate. Mm. Like, obviously, I've seen the documentaries and the YouTube compilations that are like mini documentaries. But I know that some of the best players in NBA history came from those courts. And mm -hmm. that is a, an incredible origin story. But I also know that there are local legends who have transcended past just being New York legends because we know their names. So even though they never went to the pros, like they are a prominent part of basketball history and culture. Mm -hmm. We've all heard about the iconic summer tournaments at the main record park in Harlem. Going way back almost 70 years, this playground became a mecca of streetball culture, bearing witness to some of the biggest names that the NBA and the WNBA has ever seen. I mean, reading this list of names of players who have had iconic games at Rucker Park feels like flipping through a Rolodex of Hall of Famers. Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem, Dr. J, Rafer, Skip to My Lou, Alston. Kevin Durant. Kobe. And the list goes on and on and on. And then there were players whose fame didn't reach the NBA level. But in New York, their names are celebrated all the same with a nod of recognition or by yelling their name as they replicate their iconic moves. Players like Jumpin' Jackie Jackson, Earl the Goat Manigault, and Larry Bone Collector Williams, and of course, Joe the Destroyer Hammond. Here's the Destroyer reminiscing. If you couldn't play in Rucker, you wasn't known as a ball player. You wasn't known as a ball player. And then if you right. want to be known as a ball player, you better be in Rucker. You had to play at <laughs> Rucker. 
Those nicknames were earned, by the way. And most of them, like Dr. J, became more well-known monikers than their real government names. All that talent through the years, and for the price of nothing except a little New York humidity. Just imagine, what would feel like the whole city coming to one basketball court, standing room only, sitting on top of fences to witness greatness? I also feel like I'd fit in with my afro. But before the boisterous MCs from the And One mixtape tour era, booming music and packed crowds, Rucker Park, at its core, was really about bringing talented people together. I want to be clear here. This is not another story about Rucker Park. It's a story about people who couldn't be there. But before we learn about who Rucker excludes, we have to get into who was allowed and why. In the summer of 1950, Holcomb L. Rucker, a New York City Parks and Rec employee, started a basketball league in order to keep kids out of trouble and off the street. It was meant to create a space that allowed the local kids to focus on something positive, something to keep them motivated. The corner of 155th Street and Frederick Douglass Boulevard became a home away from home, where boys became men, and friends became the family you chose. Now, I know what you're thinking. There is no way Jordan Eileen Liggins is telling a basketball story that leaves out women. Well, you're right. Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, one of the greatest point guards in the women's game, she once said in an interview that Rucker saved her life. And they knew she was a girl, a young girl at that, but all that mattered was street cred and if you could play. They said, do you know where you are? I said, yes. What's your name? I said, is your name Rucker? He goes, no. I said, good. It ain't your park. And I want to play. And I heard you guys are really good. Can you help me? Can they just put their wings over me, protected me, championed me? There's a reason why most of the New York street basketball legends that the world knows are men. But it's not for a lack of women's desire for the game. I mean, they are all New Yorkers. And New York City has a love for basketball that runs deep. We know this. We've touched on it briefly with the Spencer's episode called To Knicks Fans with Love. But New York Knicks fandom is only one part of it. Basketball and the city's relationship is more than just a crush. Here's Amber Batchelor, a New York lifer. I think basketball, I think it's, it's just a never-ending love affair between New York and basketball. It's so intertwined into all of the amazing other things about New York City and the culture and, you know, our hip hop history and and all of those things. I think it plays an integral part into making the city what it is, giving it its personality. I think they give and take. It's a it's a great relationship. We, We take the grit. We give it back on the court, off the court. It's truly a match made in heaven. The Rucker is just one example of this, albeit the most well-known. There are thousands of basketball courts around New York City. For decades, they've doubled as babysitters, after-school programs, meet-cutes, and community hubs. All different types of people from all different types of life come together to bond over hoops. But 
What if I told you, Haley, there's an entirely different streetball culture that exists in New York City? One that's still rooted in community, but no cis men are allowed. My eyes just lit up. <laughs> Let me introduce you to Downtown Girls Basketball. Downtown Girls Basketball is a hodgepodge, no skills required basketball team made up of women and non-binary artists, gallery directors, photographers, writers, who gather in Lower East Side Seward Park weekly for an hour to play pickup. Seriously, this is not your typical basketball club. No one is going to blink if you turn the ball over. Britney Spears or Cardi B can be heard blaring through a Bluetooth speaker Short shorts are welcomed. Our producer Harry lives in Brooklyn, and he went to the courts to see it for himself. That's right, I asked our male producer to go meet a group of no-boys basketballers. I love being in a position of power. But of course, he wasn't allowed to play. Sorry, Harry. That's Aria McManus, the founder and coach of Downtown Girls Basketball, or DGB for short. She first had this idea in 2013. It was around the summer after she graduated college. Her friends were moving away from New York and some were moving to New York. It was a transient time. We've all been there. But one night after attending an art gallery opening, she had met four new friends. And after heading to a late night diner, she didn't want to lose these new friendships. So she thought of a new way to keep them going. So I was like meeting all these great people. And I was like, hey, I had this idea. Like, would you guys come? And they were just like, 100%. I would definitely do that. That sounds fun. You should do it. And I was just like, well, OK, <laughs> that's all I needed. <laughs> Aria's love for basketball began when she played in junior high school in her hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota. I was really bad in like a local rec center team and my brother was the coach. And then one year my dad was the coach and I was notoriously bad. Like in two years, I made one basket during a game <laughs> and I was just having the time of my life. I still have friends from that team that I'm friends with today. <laughs> Her main takeaway from junior high school basketball wasn't her stats or the numbers in the win-loss column. It was the joy and natural community that team atmospheres create. Throughout her teenage years, she stayed a casual fan, but after graduating college and well into adulthood, she felt that itch to pick up a ball again. But she didn't want to do it by herself. So she channeled 13-year-old Aria and cooked up a solution. I felt like what I was trying to do at the time was sort of like have a place to collect all the people that I had met in different parts of my life, especially, you know, women. And I kind of was remembering like this time that was like so easy for community. And I was like, what if we just showed up one day on a court and did that? But I knew that I didn't want any stakes involved. I think New York streetball is very much high stakes. I didn't want to do that because I'm not good and I couldn't keep up. So, um, so like if, if the person that started it wasn't good, you know, 
then there could be room for other people to be convinced to join in like a low key way. (laughs) This kind of sounds like a self own, but it's not. What sets lower stakes than heading something and saying, I'm not even great at this. With that in mind, Aria sent out her first mass email inviting her friends to come play at a local basketball court. And like the first time I didn't even know like exactly what court would be open. So I kind of picked one and then I like switched it because it was busy. And I was like, oh, there's another one further east. Like, let's all go to that one. So it was pretty like, you know, first time error. But I didn't really think much of it because I was like, I sent just everybody, you know, a thing and uh, an email and it's like a silly email. So like I'm communicating that the stakes are low through the invite basically. Um, and then like 30 people showed up one of the first couple times. So I was like, oh, this is great and fun. And that was like eight or nine years ago. That first meeting, players showed up in dresses. They were nowhere near ready to play a pickup game. I don't think anyone broke a sweat. Basketball was the vehicle, but it wasn't the reason. Aria had carved out a space for women and non-binary people to meet and greet and gather And most importantly, to not feel judged. How many times have you quit a sport or left a machine at the gym because you weren't sure what you were doing? That did not matter here. Those people who showed up in dresses, they played in their dresses. I actually can't tell you the amount of times I've quit something after not being good at it or great at it or the best at it. Who are these people like who is saying I've never played basketball in my life, but now I suddenly want to play basketball. That's actually one of my favorite parts. So Aria is an artist and a designer herself. She actually came to the city to attend Parsons School of Design. At first, it started off with her personal community of other artists and creators. But over time, the reach and network has expanded. It's so diverse. Public defender, lawyer, a school teacher. I almost got hired to be the DJ at Madison Square Garden before COVID hit. She's the doctor. I'm a design director at Spotify right now, so I'm just I'm a like graphic designer by trade. A producer for films. I collect unemployment. It's really like a equalizer in in these um, in some terms because. They may be like a international model or something that we've had before or like, you know, a CEO of a big company and just like and they're really bad at basketball. And so like their ego or their like self-importance is like totally equalized with everybody else (laughs) and vice versa. Someone who's maybe like, you know, just like collecting unemployment or just in between jobs can be really, you know, good and kind of have their moment to shine on the court. And they're they're not like having that in maybe a professional setting. Sports and basketball specifically are painted as this great adhesive. It doesn't matter where you come from as long as you can really play, blah, blah, blah. But the come togetherness here has nothing to do with talent. The prerequisite for proving you deserve to be there is just being there. The imagery of this eclectic collection of women and non-binary people coming from various corners of New York City to play fascinates me. I mean, you could see it for yourself. 
Aria commemorates the memory of each game night by taking a group photo. This is a practice that dates back to the very first time they played together. But little did she know, it would be the physical act of taking the group photo that would be the glue that held this team together. I wanted to acknowledge how special it was that these people showed up because I think, you know, if you've come once, you're on the team. You know, certain people have said like, oh, I came just once. I'm not really like on the team. And I was like, no, if you come once, that's a large part of it. And you are definitely on the team for life. And so like to kind of commemorate teams is like team photos. And like, so if you were on it once, you're on it forever. I think what that ended up like by accident, it's not by design. What that turned out to be was that people felt like an ownership or like being a part of something by this image commemorating it. With social media, I think, you know, that's how the world works now. But I originally started it as kind of an acknowledgement and a thank you that like, this was today's team. And we are like fixed in a mind state. And it's not like you have to achieve some kind of, I've come six times and now I make the team photo kind of thing. The group photo symbolizes belonging to me. Like even when they had to stop playing for a period of time because of COVID, they still gathered over Zoom weekly and posted their screenshot of everyone together and they posted it on Instagram. It's wonderful. Everyone remembers those team picture days from playing youth sports or even like class pictures for school. It's like, this is where I belong. These are my people. The word started to spread with Aria's emails being forwarded to women outside of her original circle of influence. And then the group photos started being sent around, shared, and double tapped on Instagram. Twilo is a DJ with fun, bleach blonde hair. She's super vibrant, the one cheering the loudest. Twilo was attending her first week at DGB when Harry visited the group in early August. I was sitting at a bar, aka Cobby Hole. What happens? I got there to come here. And I haven't played in about 10 years. It's been fun. I did a round of five minutes. Twilo received the email invitation from her friend, Elisa. Even before she went, Twilo put the details of game night on her Instagram story, tagged people, and a ton of people showed up. It's truly quintessential community building. And over and over, I heard more stories like Twilo's, where people found out about the team from Instagram and shared it with someone else who sent it to another person in their inner circle. If you've ever been in a gym as a woman or a non-binary person, you'll understand the appeal. What gravitates people towards downtown girls basketball is this idea of, yes, wanting to be active, but really because it's a space for you. There's a sense of safety, safety from ridicule, safety from embarrassment, safety from not fitting into the traditional athlete box. And safety from um, men. Don't make me give the murder statistics. Getting back out there on a court after not playing for a long time with a bunch of competitive, sweaty guys does not sound fun. And for a lot of the members of Downtown Girls Basketball, this is their first time. Think of the people you usually see hosting open runs in and around NYC. They're intimidating, serious. You have to prove yourself to strangers. 
Here's Rebecca. Her uniform consists of teal socks and small dangly pearl earrings. She's a graphic designer originally from the Bay Area who joined DGB around 2015. I was looking for like a women's league um, because a lot of the men, or a lot of the basketball leagues like within the city are always men or like somewhat co-ed, but I was more comfortable just playing with women. So then I, I like kind of researched and then I just stumbled upon like their, their page. I didn't want it to be too competitive because I've, I've, I haven't played since high school. Got I'm it. super rusty. So like playing with these ladies here have just been amazing just because it's like, um, it's not too in, like intense. Like I can come after work and just like have fun and laugh and not be too worried about like the competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up because I know you and I are super competitive and Honestly, I think women as a whole are competitive. Maybe that's not the stereotype, but we kind of have to be if you think about it. If we're going to get these jobs, if we're going to get these positions and places in life, we really Mm -hmm. need to be because we need to be better. So is there any competition here at all? Like, is it competitive to any degree? No. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. And you know how competitive I am. But Aria actually looks at it from a totally different lens. I feel like I could write a book about how I don't think we're very competitive. And I think we are, as humans, more communal (laughs) and more into, you know, social structures of support than competition. And I think that especially in America, where we are very competitive in workplace and social structures, it's actually such a nice breath of fresh air to not be competitive in a, in an environment. Mm -hmm. Like that's one time a week. Um, you know, because you, you get to like sort of break that mold a little bit and feel what it's like to not care. And that's kind of been my MO a little bit to, you know, there's been days where because it's so regular that we play that I can see when like the vibe is not right. I'm like, is Mercury in retrograde? Like everybody's quiet today. Mercury being out of sorts isn't the only thing that Arya and the club have to deal with. May I introduce the fragile male ego? Arya bought a permit to reserve the court and still men sometimes have such negative attitudes about leaving. And they throw fits because they feel like this group is encroaching their sacred space. But sometimes, 10 minutes later, after watching a little bit of downtown girls basketball and how positive and encouraging they are and the energy they have, that same group of guys will suddenly sing a different tune. These bros are now cheering them on from the sidelines. And Arya is like, where was that same energy when we walked up to the court? But they just don't understand until they understand. Even as men observe it, it's like they don't understand how to have like fun without competition, Um, including, you know, like friends of mine that are just like, so what? Why? And nobody wins? What? Like it just is not, I think, their purpose. And I think my purpose is way more aligned with like this type of style. They keep score, but they don't care about it too much. That's not the point. 
They even play in five minute increments so everyone has a chance to play. And then they play Sudden Death. Okay, the rules are made up. See if you can follow me. Okay. The way it works is if one team scores, then they have to stop the other team from scoring. They get one rebuttal, and if they are successful and stop them from scoring, then they win. Okay. The person who made the winning shot is awarded a purposely kitschy prize and gets a solo picture on their Instagram feed. I think that's my favorite part. Past prizes have been a ban the bra poster or a slam dunk Mad Libs book. It's pretty much anyone's game, but there's one rule though. Number one rule is no fouls, okay? It's full court press, but no fouls. So that means jumping jack defense, all right? Something like this, like jumping jacks only, no touching or hitting, okay? Because we're tired, so that's why we say it. All right, any questions? I know they just said no fouls, but I promise you it actually is pretty intense. Here's our producer Harry witnessing it in real time. Black team's got the ball. Oh, oh, now white team's got it. Oh, oh my God, it almost went in. So close. White team, oh, wow, white team scored. Okay, so now white team just needs one stop. And if the black team scores, it, it goes into double sudden death. So, <gasps> wow. A steal at half court. It's over. Charlotte won. So Charlotte gets a Lola Bunny purse. I want that Lola Bunny purse, to be honest. Other winners have received a New York Liberty fan towel or a mini participation trophy. But speaking of rewards you might not typically associate with street basketball, love! During one fateful DGB game night, two players met under the stars on the blacktop and found love in a hopeful place. They started dating and it was really cute. They would sometimes hold hands at the game and we would like spot it in the corner and whisper like they're holding hands that's so cute on the sidelines and that's the ethos of this club the best part is the relationships that form which is probably true of all basketball if you take the competitiveness out of it aria told me that in normal life outside of basketball she holds herself to a ridiculously high standard Sometimes her perfectionism is almost crippling when it comes to her artistic work. I can totally relate to that. But she relishes these emails she sends weekly for downtown girls basketball. There's poetry in them, memes, cute photos of animals dribbling. It's carefree. And it's the same with her game. For that hour at Seward Park in Lower East Side Manhattan, there's no added outside pressures of earning street cred, a true foil to the early days of Rucker Park. It's about being keeled over laughing and about going to grab a drink with everyone at a local bar afterwards. 
You guys coming out for drinks? When's You're not. Going? Wait, I don't remember the last is, time. Is Sarah going? We're going to go to Les Enfants. Someone's favorite Right spot. down there. You guys want to come? It's really good. It's a block away. What Downtown Girls Basketball represents is the space for women and non-binary people to feel included. And even other New York competitive teams and leagues have taken notice. Amber, who we met earlier, is the founder of Ladies Who Hoop and gives Downtown Girls Basketball a ringing endorsement. She's a coach, a mentor, a player, and an overall advocate for women's hoops. So much so that she earned the nickname The Mayor from playing street ball throughout the city since she was a kid. She is quintessential New York. Amber even met her husband playing basketball, and they got married on the iconic goat courts in Manhattan under the same hoops she hosts Sunday morning runs. Basketball is life. So for her to endorse downtown girls basketball is huge. And she sees a lot of her club, Ladies Who Hoop, in downtown girls basketball because it's more about the friendships and less about the championships. People that have played team sports their whole life know that camaraderie. They know that you didn't really necessarily, you didn't necessarily remember the game. Like you remember the bus ride to the game or the subway ride. And that is what I think keeps people coming back. It keeps people coming back to Ladies Who Hoop. You know, Aria is awesome. Like it keeps women coming back to downtown girls basketball. It's yes, like you get to get some physical fitness in and you get to run around and, and play the game you love until you no longer want to do it anymore. But then you build these amazing friendships. You get that team environment that so many of us are missing once we leave high school or college and don't have that that team aspect anymore the lifelong friendships that have grown just through meeting up on Sundays and playing on the basketball court is, you know, that's, that's what I really cherish. I'll cherish that long after I can't get up and down the court anymore, but that's going to take a really long time. I got another, <laughs> I got another couple of decades in me <laughs> at least. <laughs> We need that camaraderie. We need that outlet. We need to get out of work and dribble a basketball and not think about what's going on during our day or what we have to face tomorrow or even in the evening. I think that's what we share. There are so many differences, but our common ground is basketball and that's sort of our universal language. And remember that language or downtown girls basketball specific dialect started as an email chain in 2013, but it grew to be a part of New York's street basketball culture, just not like anyone had ever seen before. It changed the game. I mean, I couldn't be happier that, you know, I could even influence or somehow change the way that sports is perceived. And like the legends of Rucker and the goat courts and the cage on West 4th Street, downtown girls basketball actually did make it to the pros. I mean, one of the craziest moments that I feel like I had in like my lifetime was we got invited to the WNBA draft. I told you their spirit is infectious. At the 2019 WNBA draft in New York City, something incredible happened. 
these girls came up to me and they were like, you guys are downtown girls basketball. Oh my God. We've been like researching you and talking about you. And I was like, Oh wow. What do you do? You know, how are you involved and stuff? And they're like, we did the rebrand of the WNBA and you guys were the inspiration. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're saying I affected the rebrand <laughs> to be an influence on uh, a rebrand of unnecessary, um, like league rebrands, <laughs> in my opinion, it was like really surprising and shocking and really rewarding. Okay. Are they talking about the rebrand that is the current logo with Diana Taurasi on it? Yes. Well, a lot of people think it's Diana Taurasi because the logo has a bun. But a quick history lesson, it's not actually Diana Taurasi. Wait. Oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't be. Don't be. A lot of people thought that. And Aria actually learned in that moment, talking to those women, it's a composite of women within the logo. And it wasn't one static action shot of a real player. It's the league's second rebrand since its inception in 1997. And their focus this time was to appeal to, quote, socially conscious millennials. Every part of this was meticulously planned, down to removing the box around the silhouette to literally be more freeing, to symbolize women breaking out of the box, breaking out of the mold. To me, that's symbolically downtown girls basketball. It made Arya think back to one of their goals. Dissolve the embarrassment, I guess, is like something that my organization tries to do. Is <laughs> like a primary goal, is like dissolve your embarrassment and then you will be free to have fun. That freedom is what attracted me to this story in the first place. As you know, I've played basketball since I was five years old. It is my first love. And I worked my ass off and earned a scholarship to play in college. But once I got there, that love faded away pretty quickly, actually. The politics of it all, the playing time, the favoritism. I soon forgot why I was spending six days a week doing something that I didn't love anymore. And I forgot what it was about basketball that made me fall in love with it in the first place. After I graduated and finished my college career, I nursed a shoulder injury for about six months and didn't touch a basketball at all. Probably the longest I've been without playing. And then I decided to join an adult league to start playing again. And I'll never forget it, Haley. I remember calling my dad after that first game and I was crying. I felt so free to just play to go back to the basics of having fun and truly feeling the freedom to do so. And that's what Aria McManus and even Amber, the mayor bachelor who we heard from earlier, have created. Aria and Amber deserve to be up there, in my opinion, with the Kareems and the skip to my lose of NY Street legend, strictly because of impact because the little girls and the little boys that see them playing freely and purely having fun, turning the ball over and wearing dresses, they now know they can do the same. Out of the thousands of courts in the city, the next time I'm in New York, I'm definitely pulling up to this one. 
My primetime basketball days are long gone. My knees hurt and I definitely don't run as fast as I used to. Yesterday, I even cramped up trying to shoot a jumper. But I know my new friends won't judge me. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to this story. It was so close to my heart. Please leave us your favorite streetball legends. You can't take mine. Mine is Aria and Amber. But please tell us yours on our voicemail at 502-874-4453 or send us an email at spinsters at bluewirepods.com to be featured on the show. This episode of Spencer's was written and reported by Jordan Ligon and hosted by me and Jordan. Our editor is Isabel Jocelyn with production by Harry Krinsky, Alex Ward, Isabel, and Jordan. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. Hey, Spinsters. Love the pod. My name is Riley. I'm from Michigan. I'm a Pistons fan. Uh, I just want everyone to stop making noise about other shit because it came to the answer. It'd make me happy. Thanks. Bye.